Welcome, it's good to see you guys. Um, we are studying the gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 1. Did you bring your Bibles to church? How many brought your Bibles? Hold it up so I know who all the super spiritual people are. You should bring your Bibles to church, just in case the screen doesn't work, or like today, I, don't, I probably don't have this on the screen, so Mark chapter 1, verse 1. I uh, just kind of want to fill everybody in where we're at, what we're talking about. Uh, the beginning, Mark says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, that word gospel, if you've been in church very long, you, you're familiar with that word, uh, and you probably know it as good news. That's how it's translated in a lot of uh, church culture, but it was really uh, a military, a more of a political term in this day and age, uh, and it, it meant more than good news. More specifically, it meant a victory announcement, and before Jesus had a gospel, Caesar had a gospel. And so Caesar's uh, gospel, you know, if ever he won a military victory of some sort, uh, a, a great conquest, then he would go into a town, he would send his heralds, and they would go into a town and they would, they would deliver the gospel of Caesar Augustus or Julius Caesar or whoever the Caesar was at the time. And this was a victory announcement about a great military conquest or victory. And so what Mark is doing from the get-go is he's setting Jesus up as a king. This is a, a gospel is only associated with the king. And so Jesus is painted as this king, but it's kind of weird because Jesus is just a penniless homeless preacher. And as we've re- studied the gospel, Mark, as we've studied this biography and these eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, it, you start, your eyes start to become open about this guy because every challenge that he faces, he overcomes it. Disease. He overpowers it. Uh, demoniacs, demons, thousands of demons in one man run at Jesus' command. Death, Jesus is rising people back from the dead. Disaster, there's a huge hurricane. Jesus, just the voice, just his voice, just at his command, calm waters. And so Mark paints this picture of Jesus being, and, and, and we've heard this before, Jesus is the king of kings, of all the kings of all the emperors, of all the chancellors, of all of the chairmen, of all of the dictators, of all of the Caesars, Jesus is the king of all the kings. Of all the lords, of all the famous people, of all the celebrities, of all the influential people, Jesus is the Lord of lords. And the Bible says that one day Jesus will return. His, his first appearance on the earth, he came as a suffering servant, and he conquered through his suffering, which is amazing. And, and this is how you know Jesus is the king of kings. Uh, at that time in history, uh, the emperor of Rome is the most powerful human that had ever lived. Up to this point in history, no man had more power. And, and um, this emperor, he welded his power, and one of the ways was the crucifixion. It was the most grotesque, the most painful way that a person could die. And so this is how Jesus conquered the emperor. This is crazy. He took the absolute worst that the emperor could put on him, He took it with both hands tied behind his back, and it didn't destroy him. It didn't destroy him. He came back to life. He said, is that all you got? Here I am. I'm still standing. He's the king of kings. And the Bible says one day he will return in glory. And when he returns, the Bible says, every knee will bow. In heaven, that means all the angels, all the angelic beings, all the heavenly celestial beings, the, the this greatest beings you can imagine in heaven, on earth, all the men, women, and children, all throughout history, the greatest of the greats, the most arrogant, the most honorary, the people you can't do anything with at your work, even those people, 
every knee in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, the nastiest, onriest demon in the very pit of hell, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. At his appearance, when they see him in glory, their reflex response will be to get on their face. And see, this king, this great king, has invited us to be part of his kingdom. And this is a kingdom, remember a couple weeks ago we looked at Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7 describes this kingdom that this king is going to establish as a kingdom in which everything is as it should be and nothing could be better. Don't you want to be part of that kind of a kingdom? Everything is as it should be. Nothing could be better. And Jesus has invited us to be part of that kingdom. He says, repent for the what? kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? And so he's saying, okay, you want to be part of it, you can. Turn away from your rebellion, submit to me as your king, and I'll, I'll have you in my kingdom, which is incredible. And then he goes on. He doesn't just want us to be citizens of the heavenly kingdom. He's given us this mission, and this is why you're still here. This is why after you were baptized, after you gave your life to Christ, God didn't just beam you up Star Trek style. You turned into a pillar of glitter and just zoomed on up to heaven. God left you here because he's got a mission for you. And here's the mission, advance the kingdom. The last thing Jesus said before he departed from this earth and left his disciples here to carry on what he started, he said, go and preach the gospel. Go and tell the victory announcement the king of kings has arrived, he has conquered, Uh, he's undefeated, he's untouchable, he's unchangeable. And he's coming back. You can be part of that kingdom. Go to the nations and preach the gospel. And so this is what we're trying to figure out. And this is kind of confusing because we don't see the king, right? I've never seen Jesus face to face. And so our king is not physically present. And I'm having a hard time, maybe you are too, finding the kingdom. It's not at Disney. There's a lot of kingdoms there. But the kingdom of God isn't in Disney World. And so where is it? Where is it? Luke chapter 17, verse 20 and 21. Jesus says this, the kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. No one will say, see here or there, for you see the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God didn't disappear when Jesus ascended to heaven. The kingdom of God isn't something we're waiting on. When Jesus comes back, then he's going to institute it. Actually, the kingdom of God It's here and now. And the place that we're going to see the kingdom of God manifest is when the people of God come together under the will of God and do what God has asked them to do. Jesus prays in his model prayer. What does he pray? Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay? So this is what Jesus is saying. The kingdom of God is everywhere where the people of God come under the will of God. And here's another name for the kingdom of God. This may blow you away. There's another name for the kingdom of heaven, the church. You see, right here, this fellowship, this community that we're building, this is the kingdom of heaven. This is the place where everything is as it should be and nothing could be better. And that's where you should kind of feel like, well, that's kind of weird because I don't feel that. Right? Is everything as it should be in this space among these people? 
if you're having some cognitive dissonance here, if, if you're having a hard time connecting the dots, the reason is, and this is what I think Jesus would say to us today, the reason you don't feel that way about the church is because you, we, are not doing it right. For too long, we've thought of the church as just some place you come and you get entertained and you get a pep talk and then you go out and you do the rest of your week. But actually, Jesus, he's left us here to build this community. He's called us to be a city on a hill. That's what he's called us, a community. And it's a community that lives, it exists on a higher plane, such that the rest of the culture, the rest of society looks up to this community and wants to be a part of it. Jesus has called us as a kingdom to be light in the darkness. Jesus says you're in the world, but you're not of the world. And so in so many ways, what, what we're supposed to do is set up a parallel society, a completely countercultural community, which is hard. It's hard. We would rather just come and check a box, sing of songs, you know, hear a sermon and go home and not think about it the rest of the week. And Jesus isn't really giving us that option. Because in order for us to advance the kingdom, what we have to do is we have to go into godless culture and we set up a society within a society, a culture within a culture that's altogether different from the culture that surrounds us, the godless secular culture around us, and that manifests, it accurately represents everything that God has called us to be. You see, our secular godless culture, society, is informed by the doctrine of Darwin. You guys are familiar with this, right? What does Darwin say? In the theology of Darwin, survival of the what? The fittest. Only the what survive? Strong, right? And so, Human flourishing, as defined by Darwin's theology, is domination. Human flourishing, as defined by Darwin, is really self-interested. It's self-perpetuating. It is vain conceit. Like a peacock, this is what Darwin suggests that we do, we make ourselves as strong and as visible and as attractive as we can as to secure many mates, right? And so... Nice car and clothes and fancy house and beautiful hair, maybe some plastic surgery, and we have elite friends and we go to lavish events, and we're going to try and attract as many partners as we can, be as promiscuous as we can, and that way we would create as many offspring in our own image as possible. Success is replicating, it's multiplying your own self-obsessed kingdom. That's the doctrine of Darwin, and that our secular, our godless society, that's how they're operating. That's the core assumption of their worldview. But the kingdom of God, success, meaning is defined, it's pursued by a different measure. Mark chapter nine, verse 35, setting down, Jesus called the 12 and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. Jesus says, that the greatest kind of life you can live is a life of servanthood. It's not a life that is uh, full of vain conceit and self-interest and self-perpetuating and trying to build your own kingdom. Actually, actually, it is humbly serving other people. And here's the proof that the greatest life you can live is a life of service. 
Mark chapter 9, verse 31, the Son of Man. Remember, we talked about this from Daniel chapter 7. The Son of Man, the height of humanity, the perfect man. That's what the Son of Man is, the one who deserved all the good things. He deserved the crown. He deserved the lavish robe. He deserved the castle. He deserved all the servants. He deserved everything to go his way. What did he do? He's going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They'll kill him, and after he's killed, he will rise three days later. The height of humanity steps out of heaven, steps out of his heavenly throne where he's surrounded by angels day and night. They are singing praises to him, which is exactly what he deserves. He steps out of that. He leaves that behind. He puts on skin and bones. And I don't know about you, but skin and bones isn't always fun, is it? I'm 40 years old now. Skin and bones sometimes hurts. You eat the wrong thing and skin and bones doesn't cooperate. Jesus put that skin and bones on, and for 33 years, he lived a perfect, sinless life. He was tempted in every way that we're tempted, and yet he did not sin. Imagine all the knuckleheads. Jesus had to deal with knuckleheads just like you for 33 years, and he didn't strip up. He didn't mess up one time, and at the end of 33 years, what did Jesus do? He climbed up a hill called Calvary, and he allowed himself to be nailed to a cross not for his sake, not to benefit him in any way. Jesus doesn't need anything added to him. He's not incomplete without us. He did it as a humble act of service to you. And what does the Bible say of this man who humbled himself to the point of death? He has been given the name that's above every name. This man, who never traveled more than 200 miles from his hometown, he never wrote a book with his own hands, he never led an army, he never held political office. When he died, he died without any possessions to his name. By the world standards, by Darwin's standards, this man, he didn't have children, this man did not live a successful life, and yet this man, 2,000 years later, is the most influential man who's ever lived, and it's not even close, is it? Who's number two? Who's number two? You can't even tell me. It's Jesus and it's everybody. And so here's the point. The most meaningful life you can live is a life of humble service. So today I want to help us flesh that out. What does that look like? Mark chapter 9, verse 36. Let's all stand together in honor of the reading of God's word. He took a child and had him stand among them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. Don't stop him, Jesus said, because there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name who could soon afterwards speak evil of me. Forever is not against us, is for us. And whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, give us eyes to see and hearts to receive our true place in this world. Help us to pursue eternal glory and lasting greatness by becoming humble servants on this earth. Father, speak through me. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. I'm no better than anybody in this room or anybody that's watching online. I'm just a sinner. I'm only saved by your grace. And so, Holy Spirit, please speak through me and please have your way today. 
As you stand there with your eyes closed and your head bowed, pray a prayer, something like this. Father, speak to me. I'm ready to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. The path to greatness is servanthood. What does it mean? What does it look like for us to be a servant? Maybe we should all quit our jobs and go and work at McDonald's. They are hiring $12, $15 an hour, which isn't bad for flipping burgers. Uh, But, you know, everybody in Winchester goes to McDonald's. Everybody. Whenever I want to go to McDonald's, everybody else in Winchester decides to go to McDonald's too. I'm not sure what they're thinking. It's not Chick-fil-A. It's not that good. But if we want to serve all of Winchester, maybe that's what we need to do. We need to go and work at McDonald's and we can serve all of Winchester. Is that what Jesus is talking about here? Look at verse 36. He took a child, had him stand among them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me. Jesus is teaching us, showing his disciples, his generals, who are given the commission to advance his kingdom to the end of the earth, What does it look like to advance his kingdom? It looks like being a humble servant. What does it look like to be a humble servant? Jesus says, serve, welcome one of these little children. Now, when we hear children, we think of lovable and huggable and squeezable and kissable and pinchable and all those things, right? Something sweet, and and we love it. We love little kids until they start acting like fools. And then, but in the ancient world, they had a different perspective on children. In the ancient world, the infant fatality rate was astronomical. Between uh, one in three children died before the ages of one. One in three. And so they didn't view babies as cute. Actually, they didn't really get too attached to the babies. More often than not, they were considered a burden, a poor return on investment. So children were, were considered disposable. Women were married. They started having kids very early, mid-early teens. They started having kids, and they would have, over about a five, ten-year period, they'd have multiple children. Some of these kids would, would die. Many of these kids would die before they turned five years old. Many of these kids were born with some sort of deformity or disease. Sometimes, if somebody had a gaggle of girls and they had another girl, the mother, the father, if they had the disease, if they were deformed in some way, they would take this baby, they put this baby in a clay pot, they'd take the clay pot in the middle of an abandoned field, and they would let that child die of exposure or starvation. That's the ancient world's equivalent of abortion. Jesus lived in a time and in a culture that was an honor-based culture, where uh, your, your self-worth was defined by your standing in society, how, how high you could climb the social ladder, what floor your office was on, how many followers you had on Instagram or Twitter, where you sat in the lunchroom, those kind of things, honor, being acknowledged, being recognized, being significant in the world's eyes. That was a big deal in Jesus' day. And in that culture, children really didn't help you accomplish greatness, the pursuit of greatness. At the very least, children were considered neutral. More often than not, they were a bother. So children didn't get much attention in that day, especially for men. You remember the story Jesus is teaching, and there are kids that keep running up to Jesus. You remember this story? And the disciples tried to shoo the kids off. And Jesus, because that's what made sense in that culture. 
a rabbi, especially one that has a following like Jesus, he doesn't have time to mess around with these little snot-nosed brats. You know, so chew, go on somewhere. But what did Jesus do? He, he rebukes the disciples and he says, let the little children come to me. That was revolutionary for a rabbi, especially of Jesus' standing, to make time for the little children. In the same way, Jesus, in this instance, he has an object lesson. This is what humble service, this is what being a humble servant looks like. Welcome, serve, do good for even the least helpful human beings you can imagine. These children, they can't do anything to to promote your pursuit of greatness. They're not going to be of an advantage to you. If anything, they're going to be a burden. But I want you to welcome these little children. These little children, they might not be here in a year from now or five years from now. They might get sick and die, but I still want you. I know they're not a great return on your investment, but I still want you to serve these little children. In other words, this is what Jesus is saying. Do for those who cannot do anything for you. What does greatness look like? What does it look like to advance the kingdom of God, to manifest his will on this earth? Do for those who cannot do anything for you. Why? Why would you do that? What's in it for you? These little snot-nosed kids are just gonna pee all over your couch, right? Just a bother, just a burden. Why do that? Jesus says, to honor me. To honor me. When you honor them, Jesus says, you are honoring me. What can you give a king of Jesus' stature? Wouldn't you like to be able to give Jesus a gift? I mean, he's been good to me. I would love to be able to give back to Jesus in some way, right? But what do you buy Jesus? It's like Father's Day. He has absolutely everything. There's nothing. Jesus says, if you want to bless me, bless the least of these. Whoever welcomes them welcomes me. When you entertain, when you host, when you bless, when you serve the nobodies, the forgotten ones, the ones nobody else makes any time for, you are blessing God Almighty himself. This is being a true and humble servant. This is pursuing true greatness. Do for those who cannot do anything for you. Verse 38, John said to him, teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. Well, we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. So John's walking around one day. He sees this man. Man, he doesn't really recognize him. This man is casting out a demon, and he uses Jesus' name. Now, chances are this man that's casting out demons, he's one of the 72. You remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about the story of Jesus commissioned 72 to go out, he gave them authority to cast out demons. And so this is probably one of them, or it could be one of John the Baptist's disciples. Either way, this man, just by casting out demons in Jesus' name, he's professing faith in Christ as the name that's above every name. Because you don't cast out a demon by a name that's lesser. You cast out a demon by the most powerful name that you know of. And so this man is casting out demons by Jesus' name. So he is uh, confessing Jesus as Christ just by casting out demons in this man's name. And so we're talking about a believer, a believer who's living out his faith a little bit differently than the other disciples, but still he's proclaiming Christ as Lord. And this man, by casting out demons, is doing a really good and powerful thing by casting out this destructive devil. But John, seeing this, he gets upset and he tries to stop this man. Why does he do that? 
Because this man is making John and the rest of the 12 disciples look bad. John is saying, in effect, Jesus casting out demons is our thing. Like, that's what makes us cool. That's what makes us special. That's what makes us unique in this world. That's kind of our thing. And if this guy, it's not really fair for him to do our thing if he's not going to be part of our club. Even more than that, this man's success hurt their pride. You remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about how the disciples were having trouble casting out a demon there in the valley, and they had to wait for Jesus to come back down and do what they couldn't do, and Jesus was kind of frustrated with them. Well, here we find a man who seems less committed than the 12, and yet he's more successful than them in doing God's work. So they tried to stop him. Jesus corrects John. He's saying, I want you to be a humble servant. A humble servant does for others who can't do anything for them. Now, as you do for others who can't do anything for you, then, then you're going to have to shift your focus in a couple ways. And so Jesus is using this opportunity to teach them about a better focus. First, he does this. He shifts the focus from the glory of John to the glory of Jesus, from my glory to Jesus's glory. Verse 39, don't stop him said Jesus, because there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name who can soon afterward speak evil of me. John's focus is on John. Jesus said, John, this isn't about you. Don't make this about you. It's not about your ego. It's not about your status. It's not about you looking good. This is about me and my name. This man is doing good in my name. His actions will advance my kingdom. The kingdom of God, my friends, is about the glory of God. The kingdom of God is about the glory of God. Now, that becomes a surprise to some of you because maybe you're here today and you, for some reason, have been convinced that God exists for you. And maybe you view God as like a cosmic vending machine. You know, you you come to church and you pray the right prayers and you, you push the right buttons on God and you'll get out of him what you want. Or maybe you view God as a big genie in a bottle, you know, and if you, if you just rub that bottle just the right way, then this genie will pop out and he'll grant you three wishes and your life will be so much better. But the truth of the matter is the universe and everything in it exists for the sole purpose of bringing glory to God. What does the Bible say? The heavens declare the glory of God. What does Jesus say? If I, if I tell them to be quiet, the what will cry out? The rocks will cry out. The heavens, the earth, everything in the heavens and the earth exists to bring glory to God. And so your most abundant life is one completely submitted to the lordship of Christ. You are created to bring him praise and glory. That's what you're created for. Everything that does not willfully bring glory to God is living a deformed, a devolved a demonic existence, and your destiny is destruction. So, don't do good for your own sake and glory. Don't go and do a service project and post it on social media so you can get likes and everyone can tell you how kind and awesome you are. Don't seek the platform to sing your fancy song or pray a fancy prayer or preach a fancy sermon so people can tell you how talented you are. Jesus said, if you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Because if you do good for the praise of men, guess what? You've already received your reward. 
Jesus says, when you do good, do it in secret. Don't promote yourself. Don't make it about your glory. And God, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Do good for the glory of God. That's what you are created for, and that's what he deserves. Not for your glory, for his glory. So Jesus is saying, okay, John, you need to shift your focus. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. Here's the other thing. We've got to shift our focus from me to we. Look at verse 40. For whoever is not against us is for us. You're making this about you, like there's some sort of competition between this man and you. It's not about that. This is about us. John, you don't like this because this isn't good for you. It's not good for your ego. It's not good for your status. Stop thinking about what's good for you. Start thinking about what's good for us. Stop thinking about your kingdom. Start thinking about the kingdom of God. Stop thinking about your selfish agenda. Start thinking about your God-given mission. The next time that someone or something upsets you at church, and that's going to happen, I want you to ask yourself this, these questions before you respond. Because this is what we often do. When we get upset, somebody offends us. We get rubbed the wrong way in the church. We often respond in a way that's self-motivated. So the next time you're in a situation, I want you to ask yourself this question is my response about building up my ego or is it about building up the body of believers? Ask yourself this question. Is this, my response, is this about my pride or is this about God's glory? If it is about you in any way, you need to check yourself. Because you're trying to establish the, the church of you. Instead of Christ's church, you want Jeff's church. Instead of Christ's church, you want Dave's church. This isn't your church. This is Jesus' church. And if you make it about you, we're destined to fail. We're destined to fail. Check yourself. Confess, repent, pick up your cross, and follow Christ. Don't be jealous of your fellow Christians. Don't be in competition with your fellow Christians. Don't do it. A few years ago, I was serving at another church, and I came up with this genius idea. It was a back-to-school event called Fresh Start. I printed up a really slick banner. I was super excited about it. I worked on it for like months, months and months. Now, the idea of this event was uh, as a back-to-school thing, we were going to invite the whole county to come to our church, and we were going to give out free haircuts. We were also going to give out, I, I, uh, I asked my church family to bring like socks and underwear and uh, under T-shirts and all those kind of things. And we had a room. I'm talking about a room was just like flooding over with all these supplies. I went to all the dentists in town. I got toothpaste and toothbrushes and floss. And we're going to give all this stuff out. I was so excited about it. I thought, man, this is really going to make a wave. We're going to really be able to reach some people. It's going to be incredible. I had like five or six barbers there. We're all set up. They got their barber chairs and everything. And so I worked on this for like three months. The week before, I read in the paper that there were three other churches doing the same exact event. Now, I've been in this town for 10 years. Nobody had ever thought of anything like it. It was an ingenious idea. I was like, man, I have really outdone myself this time. And three other churches came up with the same exact event on the same exact year. We went through with it. And uh, we had five kids show up to this event. Months and months and months of work, five kids show up. I, got, I saw the paper the next day. These other three churches, they were lined around the block. People just pouring into the church. And I got to tell you, my response to that 
knowledge was jealousy and anger and frustration. How could these churches steal my thunder? This was my idea. I didn't get any praise. I didn't get any recognition. Now, looking back, I see that was about building my kingdom. That was about my ego. I got to repent of that. Don't allow that kind of spirit to exist in this church. Don't allow competition between you and your brothers and sisters in Christ in this church. This isn't about you. This is about Jesus. This is about us advancing God's kingdom. Brothers and sisters, the enemy is not in this room. The enemy's out there. And if you make this church about you and you decide I've got to compete with the people in this room in order to be recognized and acknowledged and appreciated and this is all about me, then guess what? We will be powerless to push back the darkness. We can't fight the devil if we're busy fighting with each other. But if you will lose yourself for the sake of the mission, and you say, I'm not going to make this about me. I'm going to make this about we. If we can do that, there's no telling what God can do through us. We've got to shift from about our glory to Jesus' glory. We've got to shift from a me to a we perspective. And we finally got to shift from a now to then. Look at verse 41. Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. Now, I'm going to make a point here. Uh, this is kind of a secondary point. It says, because you belong to Christ. Now, this is what we want to do with a message like this. And I, I want to be a humble servant. And so we've, we focus our attention, uh, our efforts of being a humble servant to everybody outside of this room. Christians are really good at treating non-Christians well. We don't do as well at treating Christians well. A lot of times we treat the people outside of this church better than we people treat the people in this church. So what Jesus is saying right here is because you belong to me. And so when we talk about doing good for others, when we talk about outdoing each other and showing honor, it's got to start with the people in this room. You tracking with me? Okay, so here's the, here's the point I want to make with this. We got to shift from a now to then perspective. Uh, the little child can't pay you back for welcoming them. The person delivered from a demon probably won't positively affect your life in any way. You aren't going to get rich by giving out cups of water. There is often very little immediate reward for building the kingdom of God. But every little thing you do for the sake of Christ, it will be rewarded. So don't think about what you do for the kingdom as a sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice. It's impossible, actually, to sacrifice for the kingdom because a sacrifice is I give and I get nothing in return. That's a sacrifice. It's impossible for you to do that. Everything you do for the kingdom is an investment. What's an investment? An investment is you give now, you receive a reward later. Bless the helpless child now. God calls you his child in his kingdom. The darkness that you cast out now will be more than matched in the glorious light you walk in in eternity. The cup of water you give today becomes a well of living water in eternity. You see, you can't outgive, outgenerous, outbless God. It's impossible. The more you give, the more you do, the more you honor, the more you serve for his glory, for his namesake, the more he blesses you. 
It's impossible to outgive God. It's impossible to sacrifice for God. It's an investment. So shift your focus from earth to heaven. From now, I need an immediate reward or response for doing good to later, an eternal reward. And this is what people say. Well, they say, well, I just don't have much to give. I don't have much time. I don't have much talent. I don't have much money. I just don't have much. I can't sing. I can't dance. I can't tap dance. I can't preach. I can't rap. I can't sh- uh, shovel snow. I- I'm just not good at anything. I don't have any talent. I don't have any skill. I don't have any resources. I don't have any time. Do you have a cup of water? That's what Jesus says. Just even a cup of water that you do, you'll be rewarded for it. Do you have time? You can make a phone call to a lady that's lonely, a widow. Do you have 20 minutes to spare? You could give somebody a ride. When I was in high school, senior, uh, almost done with my senior year, the Lord had called me into ministry, so I knew I was going to go to a private Bible university. That's expensive. It costs a lot of money. Uh, my family didn't have a lot of money. And so the only way it was going to happen, I needed to get a lot of scholarships. And one of the best ways to get scholarship money is to get a good ACT score. So I was really focused on that. I took the ACT multiple times. Come to the end of my senior year, this is the last time I get to take the ACT. This is the last chance. I hadn't gotten it where I needed it in order to get the scholarship money I needed. And so I'm on the way to George Rogers Clark. It's now RDC. I was on the way to the last opportunity to get my ACT score up. I'm going up Boonesboro Road. You know that big hill right after the bridge? You guys know what I'm talking about? I'm driving in my 1992 Chevrolet Cavalier four-door power windows, aftermarket CD player, what you know about it, held together by duct tape, smelled like Tootsie Rolls. I'm not sure why, but it did. I'm going up this big hill, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, under the hood, there's a huge explosion, and there's smoke billowing up all over my car. I got to the side of the road. I opened the hood up, and all the wires from the engine have just exploded out of it which I'm no mechanic, but that's not a good thing, okay? So here I am. I'm stranded. I don't have a cell phone or anything. This is before all that. I know. Blows your mind. Don't have a cell phone, and I'm frustrated. I'm having this conversation with God on the side of the road. I'm banging the top of the hood of my my car. I'm angry with God. I'm like, God, you're calling me into ministry, and you're going to leave me stranded on the side of the road? And so I prayed this prayer, and this was a snarky prayer. I say, Lord, if you really want me to go in ministry, you're going to have to do something about this. About three minutes later, this car pulls up beside me. It's a Native American man. I'll never forget it. I'd never seen a a true Native American person in my life. And this man and his wife, they pull over and roll the window down. They say, you need a ride? I'm like, what gave it away, you know? So I get in the back of their car, and we're heading to GRC. They're like, we were on our way to Eastern. Our son is graduating from college. And uh, we saw you on the side of the road. You know why we picked you up. And I said, no, I'm very grateful that you did, but I'm not sure why you would. And they said, we're Christians. And we saw you on the side of the road, and the Lord told us to pick you up. So I'm, as I am now, fighting back tears. The the rest of the 10 minutes, I can't say anything besides thank you. I don't explain to him the prayer that I had. I don't explain to him I'm going to ministry. And I get out of the car, and all I can do is wave. So I never got to tell him, how much that meant to me. You know, that's a prayer. That's an answered prayer in three minutes. You don't get much better than that. Praise Jesus. And so they don't know. To this day, they don't know 
What a difference that they made for me. And so now every time I get discouraged in ministry and I'm like, you know, I just can't handle this, I'm reminded of this Native American man. And I think to myself, God hasn't got me this far to leave me now. And so I keep going. Now one day, these people, they have no idea how they bless me. One day, they will stand before Jesus. And he will explain to them how they going 20 minutes out of their way encouraged a lifelong ministry. And they'll be rewarded. Don't you have 20 minutes? Don't you have a cup of water? Can't you make a phone call? Don't underestimate the eternal implications of just giving a cold cup of water. Now, friends, this is what I ask of you. Will you live these principles out in your family? Will you live these principles out in this church? Can we start doing for the other people in this church and the people in your family, expecting nothing in return? Can we do that? Can we really serve each other? Can we take the focus off of me and can we put it on Jesus? Can we make this about his glory and his kingdom and not my own selfish ambition and desire? Can we do that? Can we stop thinking about me, 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 and can we start thinking about the kingdom of God and how God wants us to be a countercultural in, in, this, in this dark place that we're living? We're, we live in a world that is obsessed with self-worship. You realize that, don't you? What's the most virtuous thing a person can be right now? Transgender. Right? Ask some of these teenage girls that go to high school. Ask them about sexual identity. And this is what you'll hear. You'll hear, I feel weird that I'm not some sort of way. I feel weird that I'm a straight person. I feel like there's something wrong with me. That's why many of you, I'm hearing this story over and over and over again. That's why many of you, you're, you're hearing of people you've known for 30, 40 years, and then they call you up and they're like, I finally figured out what's wrong with me. After all this time, I get it. I'm a man trapped in a woman's body. That's what's wrong with me. Now, understand, there's, there's uh, gender dysphoria, transgender, and these people have a mental disorder, Okay. That's a very small percentage. Most of what you see, as far as this transgender craze, and it is in our society, most of what you see is self-worship. It's self-worship. It is this just so consumed, self-consumed, convince yourself that you can actually reject your God-given biology. You can reject it and be whatever you want to be. And then presume on the rest of society that they need to participate in your delusion. It's the height of arrogance, isn't it? It's the height of self-worship. We live in a society where women have been programmed to think that greatness for a woman is defined by how far she can climb in spheres that were previously dominated by men. And so the most Prominent women, the most celebrated women of our day, are generally political leaders. AOC, uh, Ruth Gader Ginsburg, uh, Nancy Pelosi, Kamala Harris. Motherhood, conversely, is despised in our society, by and large. Viewed as subjugation, a necessary evil, a curse. 
mothers, they don't put their babies in clay pots. Instead, they have their, their babies ripped from their womb limb by limb. On top of it all, men are grown boys, right, in our society. They hate to work and love to play games. Uh, what, what's, what does your mom always tell you? The, they, want the, they want the milk, but they don't want to buy the cow or something like that. It's probably an inappropriate analogy, but you get what I'm saying. Want the self-gratification of cheap sex, but don't want the costly responsibility of raising a family. And so I'm just giving you a few examples. This is the society that we're living in. And our society, you see, is going to hell. All around it. Things are not getting better in our society. America is not on the incline, is it? Right? And so we have a crazy opportunity right now. It is not going to be complicated to be the light in the darkness. It's not. Just live out biblical values. Women, don't buy for a second that being that motherhood and a stay-at-home mom is somehow less than a career woman. Don't buy that for a second. The most important role and calling in this world is that of a mother. Amen? Don't buy it for a second. The heroes of our day are not women in business suits. The heroes of our day are mothers in messy buns. And so don't, don't apologize don't think less of yourself. Don't feel like I've got I've to achieve something. I need to get outside the home and I need to get a career or I need to get a side hustle in order to be. No. It's a great calling. It's one that God highly values. Men, your wives are not a ball and chain. Your children are not a burden. The job you work is not slavery. God has given you heavy weights to carry for the sake of others. That's your calling. You were created for that. That's why when you're watching the game and your wife is like, hey, honey, I need help opening this jar of pickles. You get up and you go, right? It's like, all right, I was made for this. <laughs> you, you are made to lift heavy weights for the sake of others. And so listen, yeah, you got to go and mow the grass because your wife is not going to think about it. You got you to make sure the oils change, right, husbands? Because your wife is not going to think about that. There are countless things that you do that go unnoticed and unthanked. Don't resent that. Delight in it. Say, this is my calling to serve sacrificially my wife and my children, to love them and lay down my life for their sake. Do I need to die in order for them to live? So be it. That's my calling. Christians, the church is not Netflix. We are not on-demand entertainment. We do not exist to give you a pep talk. The church is a move of God. We are an army of Christians. And God has called us to push back the darkness. If you are here, and this is, this is just about you, like getting a little pep talk every week, you are missing the whole purpose of all this. God wants you to empty yourself for the sake of the other people in this room. To go out of your way to do for those who cannot do anything for you. Now listen to me. If we adopt this, this type of a mentality in our world, if this is the culture, if this is the community that we build, people obsessed with the glory of God, people who are not about me, but they're about we, 
people who are, are willing to sacrifice for now and, and they're okay with being rewarded later, people that go out of their way to do for others who can't do anything for them, if we have a community that's built on those principles, isn't that as community where there are no leaky roofs? There are no hungry families? There are no kids walking around with holes in their shoes? Isn't, isn't that a community where there are no lonely widows? Right? Isn't that a community where every need is met? Isn't that a community that you would love to be a part of? Isn't that a community that the rest of Winchester looks at and say, I don't know what is in the water there. They're having all sorts of babies, so that's kind of scary. And they treat each other really good. I don't know what's going on there, but I would love to be a part of it. I would, I would sacrifice to be a part of a community like that. That's how we change Winchester. That's how we change Winchester. That's how we push back the darkness in the city and we advance the kingdom of light is by you being that light. It's by you serving one another. It's by you sacrificially serving your family. God uses that. And it seems small. Changes everything. It's just a cup of water. A cup of water can do a lot. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the way you love us. And Lord, I pray that you'll forgive us today for all the times that we've made this thing about us, made it about me instead of making it about you and your glory. Align us, Lord, rightly. And if we're out of alignment with your will, your plan, your purpose, Lord, if there's pride in this room, I pray for the conviction of the Holy Spirit to fall on us and for you to straighten us out. Lord, we don't want to be about building our own kingdom because our kingdom is just a sandcastle. That's all it is. And it doesn't last very long. We want to be part of an eternal kingdom. And so, Lord, help us to lay down our crowns, lay down our thrones, and help us to live for you. Help us to honor you. Help us to bless you in your name. And as we do that, Lord, empower us to serve each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. Uh, we're going to sing a song, and this is a song, an opportunity for you to be prayed for. We believe in the power of prayer. And so if you're here today and you're carrying a burden that's too heavy for you to carry, if you've got a health problem, if you've got a financial problem, you've got a marriage problem, you've got any sort of problem, you've got any sort of issue, First Peter, he says, cast all your cares on Jesus. Why? Because Jesus cares for you. So if you got anything you're worried about, will you, will you let us pray for you today? If you haven't already, we got the emblems, the cracker and the juice on either side of the stage. This is an opportunity to be reminded about that. Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior of the world, surrounded by the angels, he stepped out of heaven, left his throne there, left the comfort. He put on skin and bones, lived a perfect 33 years, he was tempted in every way that we're tempted. He didn't sin. At the end of 33 years, he climbed up on a tree and allowed himself to be nailed there. Not for his sake, but to bless you. So if you haven't taken the emblems today, I'd encourage you to take this cracker that represents the body of Christ. Drink this juice that represents the blood of Christ. And ask yourself this question. In light 
of your sacrifice, in light of your mercy, in light of your grace, in the light of your forgiveness, in light of all that you've done for me, what would you have me do, Jesus? And then leave from here committed to that. As we sing,